Ah, thank you. Thank you. Great to be with you today and a huge welcome to you guys who are joining us. Great to see you guys in Cambridge, Leicester, online here in Peterborough. Why don't we welcome all those who are joining us online? And uh, welcome to part four of this series, Living Your Best Life. Question mark. In other words, are you really living your best life? And actually, it's not really part four. It's actually kind of part three B. In the last week, the message you heard was, was a section of Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount where he, he's really addressing um, how his teaching relates to the Old Testament. And effectively, what he said there, as we heard last week, was Jesus took the Old Testament teaching. He did not abolish it. He basically said, what there was an issue of action in my teaching is now becoming an issue of the heart. If you like, he took the Old Testament and he took it deeper. As we, we saw last week, the issue, the external issue of adultery now actually becomes the internal heart condition of lust. Uh, the external condition of murder now becomes the heart condition of anger. It's like Jesus is saying, here's my teaching. I'm actually taking what you've heard before and I'm taking it deeper. Now, last week we heard about uh, two areas. Today I'm going to pick on uh, another three that Jesus then takes. That, that same approach, saying you've heard it said, but now I say. But before we dive into those, I want to go right to the end of this section of Jesus' teaching. I want to kind of begin with the end in mind, where Jesus says this is a summary statement. He says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, thankfully, when Jesus says the word perfect, he is not calling you and me to perfectionism. How many of you are glad about that? It's actually a call to maturity. Now, what Jesus is saying here is that those of you who have given your lives to God, you have become children of God, you have a heavenly Father with whom you share a genuine spiritual DNA. And you are called now not to live as you used to live, but actually to live like Him, if you like, to grow up and become more like your heavenly Father. Now, I want to show you a rare photograph here of me and my dad when I was about, about seven. That's surely worth an R. Maybe you can't see past that. And in case you're not sure, I'm the one on, uh, on my right. Um, the other guy is my dad. Um, now, the reason I show you this is because um, when I was growing up, whenever I met members of my dad's side of the family, my aunts and uncles, the, one of the first things they used to say to me was, boy, you don't half remind me of your dad. Now, some of that was because I speak a bit like he used to speak grass, Instead of grass, castle instead of castle. Um, you get the idea, a bit more like Jesus speaks. <laughs> Take that out if you like. Um, but actually what they really meant was you walk like your dad walked. Now I thought in my head that means Simon the swan. But actually what they meant was Simon the duck. Feet at 10 to 2, running like this. Which is why the kids at school used to sing Simon Deets, run like a duck. <laughs> Don't worry, I'm over it now. <laughs> but actually for me, when, when my aunts and uncles said, you're just like your dad, it was a huge compliment. Because actually certainly for me growing up, there were very few people on planet Earth I wanted to be more like. Now what you may not know is a few years after that photo, my, my dad died. 
And through my, my teenage years, I still retain that desire to try and be like him in order, if you like, to keep his memory going. Then I became a Christian, age 17. And through that journey, I met God as my heavenly father. For the first time in my life, I met a father who is absolutely perfect in every way, who's good all the time, who's kind, who's generous, who's faithful, who's present, who's loving, who's generous, who's strong, who's wise. I want to tell you, I can't think of anyone, anywhere, at any time, I would rather be associated with with that heavenly father. That's the invitation to you and me today. If you like, it's an invitation to grow up. Become who it was that God originally intended for you to be. As in verse 45, again, right at the end, Jesus says this. He says, in this way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. Hence, the title for my message today is Live Distinctively. Now, I I believe today, if you and I will step up to the commands that Jesus gave us, as we saw last week and this week, we will live different from the world around us. We will live distinctively. You know, you you don't need me to tell you that the world that you work in, the world that you live in, the world that you do leisure in, is moving further and further away from the way the Bible says life was originally designed to be lived. And hear me, as we obey these commands, we will live differently. We will live distinctively. It is countercultural. It is radical. But this does mean this is the way to live your best life. It is going with the grain of how God has originally designed us. So actually, I want to call you today to say, let's be people who live distinctively, seeking to live lives that are like our Heavenly Father. Now today, I'm going to cover three key areas. And you'll appreciate over the last two weeks, we've covered five big areas. So I want to recommend a few books to you. Uh, They'll be on the screen. They're also on our website. I particularly want to recommend to you two books, The Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard and The Sermon on the Mount by Rob Warner. Great books. They will help you dive deeper into this whole section of The Sermon on the Mount. But here we go. So three areas I want to talk to you about today. Let's Number one, let's live distinctively in the whole area of marriage. Now, hold on. Please don't switch off. If you are not married In this church family, please don't think this doesn't apply to you. Because just in the same way as every issue of the church family is our issue together, would you agree? It's not just one group. Actually, just a singleness is something I need to be praying for the singles for and supporting them in singleness. Can I say also, you guys are single, please pray for, be on side with us and catch this teaching. Send our men for that. It's like, come on, let's go for this. So this is what Jesus said on the issue of marriage. He says, it has been said, Old Testament, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, key question here then, what is Jesus actually saying here? Well, the key thing is, first of all, Jesus is actually calling out the Pharisees for their casual approach to divorce. See, if you look back to the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, you'd see Moses actually gave the Jews permission to divorce. 
But, and that's where the certificate of divorce comes from. But the whole purpose of this, and, the, and it was, is how our commentators describe it, it was a reluctant concession in recognition that some exceptional marriages would fail. It was not a command. And yet what had happened over the years since the Lord had been given, the Pharisees had taken that, that permission and turned it into a command and they'd shallowed it. So that actually by the time Jesus was, was teaching, it was the norm for people to divorce on the grounds of what they called any and every reason. A man at that time could divorce his wife, and it was always the men, not the women, could divorce their wives for, for things like looking at another man, for putting too much salt on their food, or even burning the food. And probably in that context, you'd have been tempted to do all three of them, I suspect. But actually, Jesus makes it really clear, and this is the point. This is not what God had originally intended for marriage. Let's go to Matthew 19, where Jesus is asked this very question about divorce. The Pharisees come to him and they say, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Listen to Jesus' response. He says, haven't you read that at the beginning the creator made them male and female? And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Now, what does Jesus do? He actually, he doesn't go back to the law. He goes back further. He goes back to the original creation to say, no, you missed it, Pharisees. This is God's original design for marriage. What does he say? He says, one man, one woman, united to become one flesh for life. So what was he saying to his listeners at the time? Well, he's saying, you've really misunderstood marriage completely. Marriage is not the mere signing of a piece of paper. It is not a casual, short-term contract designed for personal gratification that you can discharge when you fancy it by writing a piece of paper and sending someone away. No, when two people come together in marriage, something sacred, something mysterious, something beautiful and powerful happens. Two become one. It's intended for life. And that's why at the end of his, in Matthew 19, Jesus says this. He says, therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. In other words, he's not saying married couple can't be separated. He's just saying, people, this is so precious. Do not do it. Now, I don't know about you, what kind of images you have in mind about marriage. But actually, the ones I love are the people right in our midst here at Kingsgate who are modeling what it looks like. Just a couple of weeks ago, I was talking with a couple who were about to celebrate their 50th year of marriage. As I, I talked to them, I thought, that is just It's just remarkable that for half a century with a normal human being, you could stay faithful to them. Do you know, we are surrounded in this church family with people who've been married for 30, 40, 50, I haven't heard anybody more than that, but maybe there are, years of marriage. And I wanna say to you, well done. (laughs) There is, yeah, let's, let's honor them. And I want to say something particularly to you. I believe when I look at your marriage, I see something of God. Because this is the whole point. There's something in your marriage relationship that shows to people God is faithful. 
God is committed to us through thick and thin. And when, relationship, when we are in relationship with us, he doesn't give up on us, he sticks at it. Well done. You're showing something of what God is like. But I know I've been long enough as a pastor to know marriages like that don't happen by accident. They happen because people stick at it through thick and thin and because they keep investing in the single most important relationship in their life. So again, let me say to you guys who are married, whether it's one week or 70 years, whatever it is, keep investing in your marriage. You you could do worse than have a read of Tim, Tim Keller's book on the meaning of marriage. Get on the next marriage course if you've never been on it, but keep pursuing lifelong commitment to one another. However... We cannot leave this passage here without noticing Jesus doesn't leave it there. He does actually give an exception for divorce where he says, except for sexual immorality. In other words, one clear ground for divorce, according to Jesus, is where either the husband or the wife have had an affair outside of the marriage. It doesn't say it's a command, it says it's a permission. Now, I'm sure many of us in this church will be aware that the issue of divorce is complex and painful. And there's only kind of so much that I can, I can say today. I, I would encourage you, um, have a read of some of the books I mentioned earlier. They will give you a deeper dive on the whole area. But let me just say this. When we look more broadly at the heart of God, his desire for, to provide protection and safety, especially for the weak and vulnerable, that must include anyone who feels trapped in an abusive relationship. And I want to say to you today, if that's you, I want to say, first of all, if your marriage is in a mess, and often only you will be the ones who know it, first of all, fight for your marriage. Do you know, the stats are really good. The research shows that married couples who will stick at it, even on the back of divorce, back of an adulterous relationship, they can come through the other side if two things take place. Number one, both sides are willing to own and change their behavior And secondly, if you get the help you need. Please hear us. Do not simply suffer in silence. If you are struggling in any way in this area of your life, please let us know. You know, the the, um, Restored Lives course that's coming up in autumn, it's designed specifically for people who've experienced divorce and think that's the end of their life. No, we have a God who heals and a God who restores. Let me encourage you, sign up to that course. Or if you just, you just need help in this area, then please email us. Okay, we have a pastoral care email address. Um, email us there and we will treat that confidentially and we'll do what we can to help you in this season of life. So let me call to us, Kingsgate. Let us be a church who live distinctively in marriage. Let's keep strengthening the marriages that are here, but where there has been divorce, let's do all we can to bring healing and restoration. Number two, number two, being like our Father, live distinctively in speech. Now, I I saw recently there's a bit of an epidemic of tooth decay in our our nation. Don't look at the person next to you and check out their teeth. Um, But actually, I'd say there's a more significant thing, not tooth decay, but truth decay. Well, actually, partly as a nation, we're starting to kind of see all over the place. It's difficult to know what the truth is. Uh, Maybe you've heard the the story of a little child in Sunday school where they asked the question, what is a lie? This little girl puts her hand up and she said, an abomination in the sight of the Lord. Starts to put her hand down and says, and a very present help in times of trouble. (laughs) 
Now, it matters though, doesn't it? Doesn't truth matter? Think of the issue of fake news when it came to the American election, particularly a couple of years ago. Do you know, where we lose sight of the truth, it can actually impact a nation. Think of what's happening in Russia right now, the way in which the war is being reported there. A whole nation potentially coming under elements of deception where they're not sure what the truth is. The truth really matters. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you've made. But I tell you, don't swear an oath at all. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. What's Jesus saying? Saying, keep your language simple. Saying, let there be complete integrity from what you say you're going to do to what you actually do. Let, let your word be your bond. If you're going to say something, do it. Don't overpromise. Don't lie. Don't exaggerate. Don't try to impress. Don't try to manipulate. Now, I, 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 the one I find the most difficult here, because often this works out in simple interactions with other people, is when someone says to me, please pray for me. Now, remember, these are heart issues. Now, my heart goes, oh, I want people to like me. I, wa I want them to know I'm praying for them. So I'll say yes. And then later on, I think, oh, no, I have committed to pray for that person. Now, why did I do that? It's a heart issue. I did it because I want to please that person and sometimes because I want to impress them with my incredible spirituality and the power of my amazing prayers. Well, that's a heart issue. Jesus is speaking to that heart issue. Now, I don't know about you, when, when Zia and I first came to Kingsgate, one of the things that really impacted us was how here in this church we have a very high standard of what comes out of our mouths. I, I, I love the way there's no gossip. Anybody else like that? We, we don't speak about others negatively behind their back. But also that there's an accuracy of speech. And I, I know many of you have spoken to you in Cambridge and in, in Peterborough and Leicester. You've said, we love the fact this is the culture in this church. Well, let's do what we can to preserve and maintain that culture. Let, let's just imagine for a minute that uh, I had a, a big kind of spreadsheet. I don't know anything about spreadsheets, by the way. A big table behind me on the screen. And down it, we've got one side that records everything that you've said or written, let's say in the last week. Okay, in private to other people, on text, on social media. Then on the other side, we have a sheet that does like a, a fact checking. We go through it and we say, okay, you said that, you wrote that, you put that on social media, you put that somewhere else. Now we're going to fact check it, okay? Did you actually follow through with what you said you were going to do? Were your words accurate when you were at work, when you were describing how well your area has gone in the last six months? Were you accurate to what is actually going on. How many of you think that might be a little bit of a challenge? Well, that's what Jesus is saying here. He's challenging us to say, let's be people who live distinctively because people can trust our words. Our words are our bond. Why? Because that's like God. God is always truthful in what he says. He never overpromises. He never overstates. What he says he will do, he always follows through. And wouldn't it be amazing if we, in our culture today, could be known as the people, when you go to them, you always hear it said well, said lovingly, but said accurately and honestly. Number three. So we've seen let's live distinctively in marriage, live distinctively in speech, and third, live distinctively 
in your relationships. Now, just take a little intake of breath. Okay, because I'm about to read to you what I would say, the rest has been challenging, I hope you'd agree. This is like uber challenging. And try to hear this like you've never heard it before, because many of us have heard this many times before, but try to hear it like those first hearers heard Jesus' words. Jesus says this, remember he's deepening the law. He says, here's another old saying that deserves a second look, okay, old saying. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Is that gonna get us anywhere? Now this is Jesus deepening the law. Here's what I propose, don't hit back at all. No more tit for tat stuff, live generously. You're familiar with the old written law, love your friend and its unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Whoa. Just let that phrase sink in to your heart. Jesus is deepening the law. Love your enemies. What he's saying is, in effect, it had been interpreted, the Old Testament law was saying live reciprocally. In other words, how you treat me is gonna determine how I treat you. Jesus is saying, no, no. This now is a new command. Don't let other people determine the way that you treat them. We will come from a place of agape love. <laughs> the word he uses when he says love your enemies is the word agapeo. Now, the good news is that is not a feeling. It's a choice. Agape love is a choice of the will it's not about a feeling. Now, if you read that honestly, there must be a part of you that thinks that is impossible. It's unnatural. I was not wired to respond to someone treating me unkindly to treat them with kindness. Just think of it, those, his first listeners. When they hear the word enemies, do you know who they're thinking of? They're thinking of the Romans who've occupied their country. The soldiers who are all over the place who can ask anything of them. And yet Jesus is saying, these are the very people that I have called you to do good to. Now, I think we could be forgiven for saying, that's not good news, that's bad news. How on earth am I expected to live like that? But actually, and this I believe is the most remarkable thing Jesus is saying, the wonder of the gospel is that God can do such a work in your heart and my heart that we can live like he does, which is no longer to respond to others how they respond to us, but actually we can respond to them with love because that's what God is like. But it takes a lifetime's journey to be able to get there, to actually overcome the natural human tendency to live reciprocally. Now, how do we do that? When I, I don't know about you, when I hear phrases like love your enemies, I think about the heroes of the faith like Martin Luther King. Amazing people who did extraordinary things. But actually, Jesus makes it clear here. No, this is in your everyday interactions with other people. Those people who cut in front of you in the queue in Sainsbury's. Anybody else get annoyed by that? It's like, this is my right. I was going in next well, actually, you know, he's saying it's in those everyday encounters with your boss at work, the people that live next door to you. Those are the people that he says, that's how you're to live. Let me give you one example. He says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Again, he's talking about Roman occupiers who at that time often would ask people, well, demand people to go one mile journey for them. Menial task to do. And what does Jesus say? He says, don't do one mile miserably and grudgingly. Do two miles cheerfully and accepting. <laughs> You've gone very quiet. 
let me ask you, what's your normal reaction when someone treats you badly or something is asked of you that feels unreasonable? If you're anything like me, there'll be a rise of, that's not my normal behavior. But actually, I believe we can choose to respond with the love that's a choice to do good. We can yield to God's kingdom heart and let that drive our actions. It'll take a lifetime and we'll still be working on it when we get to heaven. Why would we do that? Well, this is what Jesus answers that question. He says, why? Because this is what God does. He gives his best. The sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone regardless. The good and bad, the nice and nasty, live generously and graciously towards others the way God lives towards you. What, what a huge challenge. This, this is, I want you to catch this. This is the natural heart of God. Think, think of Jesus on the cross. There he is. He's been abandoned by his friends. He's been whipped to within an inch of his life. He's bleeding. He's dying. He's surrounded by people who are declaring obscene things to him and about him. And yet what does he say? He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Do you know, and here's the thing that to me is extraordinary. This is God's natural heart. He's not, he's not trying not to hate. He's not trying not to get revenge. This is the natural response of God. And that's what I believe God calls us to. He says, look, look at what I've, I've done for you. Now you go and live the same with other people. Just imagine with me for a moment. Here's the invitation. Here's the challenge to, to you and me. If we could pick up from last week and be people who are known for having dealt with our anger, dealt with our lust, for people who are distinctive, living distinctively in our marriages, people whose speech is distinctive, and who are distinctive in our relationships where we are characterized more than anything by love. This is what Jesus says, his final word. He says, in a word, what I'm saying is grow up. <laughs> your kingdom subjects, now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others the way God lives towards you. Well, wherever we are, Right now, wherever you are now, we're gonna to respond to the message that we've just heard. What I want to do for us here uh, and in the online service, I want to lead us in a, a simple prayer, but I'd actually like to ask you to stand. So wherever you are, if you just stand with me. I hope you feel challenged. <laughs> I hope there are things that I've said that you're like, I can't do that. That is impossible. But I hope you've also heard that Jesus wants to give you the grace to handle whatever situation that's come to your mind right now as being utterly impossible. What I'm gonna do, I'm gonna lead us in a simple prayer. I'm gonna pray and then I'm gonna leave two spaces. In one of those spaces, where it's quiet, wherever you are, I want to ask you, to take a moment to ask God for forgiveness. Maybe there's an area of your life where you're conscious that needs to change. Well, let's make a choice to say, God, please forgive me for the way I've been living and choose to turn from that. The second area, I'm gonna invite you to say, where do you need help? <laughs> Probably quite in a lot of places. That's okay. Jesus is here to help.
and then I'll seal in our prayer. So however you pray, I often pray with my hands up, whatever you do, eyes closed, whatever works for you, just as I pray. Heavenly Father, I wanna thank you for your amazing, outrageous love to us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your extraordinary example on the cross, surrounded by those people, declaring, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus, thank you. That's how you've treated us. Thank you that you love us here today. You stick with us through thick and thin. Thank you that your normal condition is grace, overflowing mercy. Thank you that we're recipients of that, Father. Father, our desire is to become more like you, to grow up, to become mature children of the Father and represent you to the world. So right now, first of all, Father, we ask your forgiveness for every place where we're not living up to who you've called us to be. So just in the stillness, just tell God. Thank you, Father. Be straight with Him. Call it what it is. Thank you, Father. Hmm. Some of you need to repent of living your life by your own standards and by your own power. Living independent of Him, tell Him you're sorry. Turn from it. Thank you, Father. Father, I thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your promise that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. I pray even now, Father, be a cleansing. Come, Holy Spirit, just cleanse. Lift off guilt and shame and condemnation. Let it be a new start for many people today. And then, Father, too, help us live up to who you've made us to be. Just again, in the quiet of your heart, ask him for the specific help that you need, patience, wisdom, grace. Receive it from him. Think about there may be a specific situation. Say, God, help me catch my natural reaction, turn it to one of love. Heavenly Father, I pray. Father, I pray for each of us that when people look at us individually and collectively, they'd say, you remind me of your Heavenly Father. There's something about you that's different from every person I've ever met and that our lives would show forth your goodness and your generosity to a world desperately hungry for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Just gonna sing a, a great song. You'll know it well, Fresh Wind. And really it's about the Holy Spirit. And you know that the, the well, he's got many names, but one of his, my favorite name for me is the helper. It means he comes alongside to help. Do you know that you have infinite help? Always available, appropriate to your need. Always at hand, just a prayer away. 
as we sing this song, make it a prayer for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit to come and galvanize, strengthen, guide, empower, and anoint you. So guys, if you'd lead us.